Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Lisa Earl McLeod. She's the best-selling author of Selling with Noble Purpose, and somebody I've really needed to have on the show for quite a while. We're going to talk about the greatest misconception when it comes to motivating sales organizations, the problem that sales organizations and leadership create that lead to mistrust and misalignment within the organization, how to better engage your organization for better results, and how to drive higher revenue and better margins by focusing on your noble purpose. You're going to learn a ton amazing insight from Lisa Earl McLeod. Lisa, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a delight to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here, and I'm actually embarrassed that we've known each other for years, and I I didn't realize that you had not been on the show. And when someone suggested you, I thought to myself, man, I'm pretty sure I've had Lisa on. Maybe we could have her on again. And I was embarrassed to find out that we had not had you on the show, and I'm sure my audience is uh, is going to be thrilled by the end of this. Excellent. Well, we have known each other for a long time. We have sense, uh, similar sensibilities. I think you and I have just had so many conversations, we thought we'd done it live. It seems like that. So can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? So something surprising about me, when I was 14 years old, I worked at the Donut King in Arlington, Virginia, and I sold more donuts in one shift than they had ever been sold in a day before. Yes. So you're the world record holder in Arlington, Virginia at the Donut King. For selling King. donuts. For selling donuts. And I remember, I still remember this. And I think this, the little capitalist in me was was born. <laughs> and the um, the owner was an immigrant. Uh, Mr. Kiln was his name. And he was from Korea. And he owned a couple of different Donut Kings. And I uh, had progressed to the point at the age of 14 where he left me in the shop for the day by myself. <laughs> and... Um, to be fair, one of the reasons I sold all these donuts, and if he's listening to this podcast, he doesn't know this, but um, – Oh, I'm sure he's group, an avid listener. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Um, a group of firemen came in to, to the shop, and so that's how I sold all the donuts that day. I was like to think I was a great salesperson, but these firemen came in, and I said, well, we're having a special, and these are hot. You can take them back to the station. So I sold all these donuts. That was back in the day before people paid with card and everything. So he comes back. Mr. Kiln comes back at about 5 o'clock, and he looks in the cash register, and I just remember the look on his face. There's like all these 20s in there. You know, This is like 1980, <laughs> and he's so excited. And I was like, there's something to this sales thing. This really <laughs> makes people happy. I think I might be on to something. That's right. That's right. And the, and the key to all of it was you happen to be the closest donut shop to the firehouse. To the firehouse. <laughs> That's right. Location, location, location. Exactly. But you know, and it's funny because I think I think we I think almost all of us have a story when we were about that age of something that happened that sticks with us. And people say, "Well, but is that really the motivator? Is that is that your origin story?" And the answer is maybe. <laughs> I don't maybe. know. 
Well, the other thing is it taps into something because I grew up in Washington, D.C., right outside Washington, D.C., and my parents were both um, into government service, and I use that term very honorably. My mother was a teacher. My father um, was a banking regulator, and so I had always kind of thought that I would do something in the service of my country, and I, I still think that I that I might wind up there, but at that point, that was the first time it opened opened this little window to me um, in business. And I went, oh, maybe it's something besides me working these 10-hour shifts on the weekend at the Donut King. Maybe there's like a whole backstory to this business. And I saw what that did for him and his family as first-generation immigrants and how they were able to use this business to lift themselves up. And, and it had a generational impact. Well, and, and naturally, I'm sure he gave you a cut of all the proceeds that day. No, <laughs> no, that part that part didn't happen. But but he, but but he probably told you that you just helped the lives of many people, and it made you feel good about it. <laughs> we'll we'll go with that one. Yeah, exactly. So, though many people maybe maybe tapping your expertise in maximizing donut sales revenue. Yeah, I've, moved, I've moved on from the donuts, yeah, but if I, there's a donut seller out there, I, I would come back. Exactly. They'll, they'll bring you back in for, just for that. But but I know that, that your expertise really comes down to motivating organizations and leading organizations with a sense of purpose. And what I want to talk about is what's the greatest misconception that you think people have when it comes to motivating sales organizations and their businesses in general? Well, everyone knows that you've got to have the right infrastructure, that motivating people with the wrong infrastructure, the wrong product offering and all that is pointless. So everyone knows that you have to have the right infrastructure. But I think one of the big misconceptions is the way that we train salespeople in that the traditional sales training uh, now is about Keep the customer in mind. Make the customer the forefront of everything you do. But I think the mistake that people make is they don't look at the ecosystem surrounding the seller when that's when there's a real disconnect. And so you send your salespeople to sales training or you hire a keynoter to come into your, you know, big sales conference and it's all about the customer. And, you know, I talk about, you know, the noble purpose of sales is to improve the life of customers. And that's actually how you close more deals. But then what happens is when those sellers go back, everything in the sales ecosystem is not about the customer. It's about internal targets. When are you going to close the deal? How much is it going to be? How much revenue can we collect? What's the profit margin? And those things matter. But what happens is if there's no conversation about the customer inside the company, you haven't created a compelling sales narrative for your salespeople to share outside the company. And so I would say the biggest misconception is that you can magic wand the salespeople and not address the ecosystem that's around them. And so, and, and what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is this: is that, look, if we if we say to people, look, what we really care about is the customer, but then internally, all you say is, well, so how much revenue are you projecting for this account? Right. Then there's a disconnect because the sales rep says, oh, that was just lip service at a conference. What they really care about is what's this bottom line revenue number going to be. That's right. And the, the research tells us, and I, and I want to be really clear, there is a link between noble purpose 
and profitability. Organizations with a purpose bigger than money outperform the market by over 350%. Salespeople who sell with what we call noble purpose, whose, whose intention is to improve the lives of their customers, outsell target-focused salespeople. So I want to be really clear. The money matters. Without a profitable business, you can't innovate. You, you know, If you've ever done business with a company that's not doing well, you know how problematic that is. But the the thing is, what happens to sellers is some of it's conscious and some of it's unconscious. They'll come back and like you said, they'll go, oh, that all that customer stuff was just lip service. The main point here is our internal metrics. But it's even more than that. Even if the seller is assimilating these two things in their mind, what happens is imagine two salespeople. They're both in their sales meeting. Salesperson A's coach, sales manager says, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? How much did we close this month? What's the margin on that? What's our projection for next quarter? Imagine what's in that seller's head when they go in front of the customer. But imagine salesperson B, they're in their sales meeting and the manager says, okay, let's look at our pipeline. But then every time they talk about a customer, they say, okay, what's the revenue projected for this customer? Now, what's the return for the customer? How is this going to improve the customer's life? If we're collecting $10,000 from the customer, how are we going to make that customer $100,000? When you fill your salespeople's minds with specific information about how you're improving life for customers and you ask your seller what's what's the customer impact here they have a whole different talk track inside their head and that's why they close more deals you know what it's it's a it's a fascinating angle and and this whole this whole idea of selling with noble purpose so resonates with me there's a concept we talk about in same side selling called the same side quadrants and the idea is Focus on the questions that will matter not only to you but especially to your customer. And it's questions like, well, what happens if you don't solve this issue? And what Mm -hmm. does success look like down the road that we can measure? And what I often advise um, audiences is, hey, listen, if the problem doesn't seem worth solving and if you don't feel you can deliver the results, you shouldn't be selling anything because at that point – you're taking on what's going to be a toxic situation and you're not well serving the client. And I think that's, I mean, part of what I see as selling with noble purpose is the idea of, look, I'm trying to help other people reach a better outcome. And if I can't, then I should probably be okay referring to someone who maybe can. Well, that's exactly right. And and what happens is when you are not solving to a particular client outcome and your organization isn't aligned around that, you wind up with a transactional sales force and your deals come down to price. And so what happens is we, you know, a lot of clients call us because they're find themselves being commoditized. And the reason they're being commoditized is they don't have a compelling differentiated story for the market and they haven't created a sales team who's looking to, to improve lives of customers. They've, when, you have, when you treat your sales team like they're transactional, you create a transactional relationship with your customers. And so the big, the big thing that people did, you know, I'm old enough to remember back in the 90s, they got the idea that we should ask customers, what keeps you awake at night? What are your biggest <laughs> challenges? I mean, that was a really good idea. It was better than, hey, let me, you know, sell you a bunch of crap. But what happened was so much of the sales training that exists today is based on models 
that predate the internet. You know, a little invention called the internet really changed the game in sales. And what used to be the third call is now the first call. And so your sellers need to go into the customer with a very deep understanding of what the customer's challenges are so that they can ask those kinds of questions on the the first call, not just, hey, what are your biggest challenges? What keeps you up at night? But so that they can ask questions like, I understand this is your challenge. What effect is that having on you? Or what are you? What what vehicles do you look to to solve that? And and that's what noble selling with noble purpose is. It's based on a deep understanding of the customer and going in to solve for that 10x or you know whatever that may be. But you have to have the whole organization lined up around that. Otherwise, it's like you know I often feel like the way we treat sellers is. Like it would be like telling a dieter, we want you to eat all these nutritious meals. We want you to exercise, but oh, by the way, you're going to walk through a pantry filled with you know Oreos and Fritos. Just ignore that, and, you know, focus <laughs> on yourself. <laughs> yeah, just this. This is just a challenge you're going to walk through every day. By the way, nothing's packaged. It's all just out on an open shelf right. waiting for you. Yeah, just walk by those Fritos with cheese dip beside them. But that, but that's what we do to sellers. We say, focus on the customer, focus on the customer. But, oh, by the way, the only thing your manager is ever going to talk to you about is your quota. And when the product development people present new products, they'll just do all the features. They won't talk to you about how they improve the life of the customers. But you, seller, you you should have the self-discipline to you know, reverse all that when you're in front of the customer. Yeah, you, you'll be able to figure it out on your own because all we care about – is the revenue? Right. It's it, it's it's interesting. There there's a um, there, there's a company called um, called Yoko that is a um, Yoko CEO, which is a digital marketing firm, and and I sit on their advisory board. I've actually had Chris on the show before talking about a, 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 a similar concept in his business, which is they measure in their business they measure the impact on lives for their customers. So they don't just take on any client. It's got to be somebody who's got some broader purpose. So they work with a lot of healthcare organizations. They work with Mm -hmm. a lot of associations and a necessary component to every, every interaction they have with a client is who are you trying to impact and how are we going to measure that? And as an organization, they have a goal. I think it's to impact a million lives or maybe it's more than that. And it's interesting because when you watch them have a sales meeting, they don't focus on what's the revenue. They focus on, so how many lives are we impacting? And is the client getting the results they need? Now, they happen to be having record year over record year in terms of growth. Of course they are. But they're focused on this broader noble purpose, if you will, not the rest. So, so what, so, so that for, so our audience can understand it. The research behind this, what what do you find in terms of, you know, why does this work? So I'll give you the macro and the micro. Sure. So I'll start with the micro. So back to our two sellers, seller A and seller B. Yep. The reason this works is when one person walks in thinking, I'm going to close this deal, they have narrowed their lens. They are, one, the customer is going to read that. 
Two, they're going to focus on their own products and services. And three, they're going to miss a lot of customer clues. When the person walks in and says, I'm here to improve life for this customer, they're going to ask better questions. The customer is going to read that and they're going to come up with a more creative solution for that customer. So that's why it works in the micro. What happened over the years in sales training is we told sellers to focus on the customers, but most of the models that we showed them were actually focused on the deal. Now, I want to be really clear. That seller who walks in and says, I'm here to make a difference to the customer, behind them needs to sit a well-organized business model because they can't just give things away. They have to have clear pricing. They have to have a profitable business model. But when all that's in place, the behavior of the seller that's focused on improving life for the customer, our research tells us those are the sellers that will close more deals. They'll close deals faster. They'll have a shorter sales cycle and they will close deals at higher margin. So in the big picture, why that works is, and we've got a lot of data on this. When I first started down this path and creating the Noble Purpose methodology, it was based on some research that we had done on sellers. And we've since extended that to company-wide. And organizations with a purpose bigger than money outperform the market by over 350%. And the reason why is when one set of organizations is sitting in their meetings talking about themselves, our production rates, our processes, and all this, they're missing where the business actually sits, which is out in the outside world with the customer. But when someone's in a, in a meeting and they're saying, what can we do to improve the lives of customers? that company is going to innovate more. When they say, what kinds of processes are we using that are helping our customers? What's hindering our customers? Those are going to be the companies that outperform the market. And we can see evidence of it all over the place. And and you mentioned a healthcare company. One of the things I want to be really clear on is you don't, If you're saving lives, that's a wonderful thing. But we have software companies that are our clients that have employed this methodology, and they're simply helping their customers run their businesses more efficiently. That is a noble endeavor. Yeah. If you're doing something that is helping the customers, when you make that the North Star of the company, it's a game changer. And and the other thing that that affects is we know now that about half of employees showing up for work are disengaged which means they're showing up with their bodies, but they're living their brains and hearts at home. And one of the reasons is their work has no purpose or meaning. And so when you organize your entire company around improving the lives of customers, all of a sudden what were often you know, disengaged employees engaged because there's this real human need. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And just trying to hit the quarterly numbers, people will do it and they'll run around and it'll work, but it doesn't It doesn't equate to long-term value and it doesn't equate to long-term satisfaction for employees. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I love the fact that you mentioned that it's not just about healthcare. There's, a, yeah. um, there's an organization I was working with, a big organization that helps businesses across industries save money on – on a variety of things, whether it's food, whether it's supplies, whatever it happens to be, they typically deal with large client organizations. And when I would ask them, I said, so, so what's the net effect you have on businesses? Well, I save them money. Okay. Well, let's think about this a little bit. What happens if they don't save money? Let's say you're dealing with a country club and the country club doesn't save money. What happens? And they said, well, you know, um, gee, I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you what happens. They have to lay people off. So all of a sudden someone's out of work because they didn't save money or there's not a new service they can offer. So 
their quality of their product declines. And across industries, this kind of stuff happens. So by doing what you're doing and helping these people save money, you're probably saving three or four people's jobs in that company. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, people got to look like, wow, so I'm not just saving money. I'm actually helping. Yeah, you are. So to that point, what are some of the steps that organizations can take if they realize that, okay, yeah, we have been kind of leading a lie, Lisa. We've been telling people to focus on the customer, and then all we focus on is the revenue and when deals are going to close. So what are some of the steps people can take to start getting a better focus on more of this noble purpose? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is recognize that the focus on the money is necessary and people aren't bad people for doing that. It is the default narrative of business. So recognize that that's necessary. And if you have rigorous discipline around financials in your company, great. That is an excellent starting point. What Noble Purpose does is it's additive. It takes good organizations and it makes them exceptional organizations. And so the way to focus on that is think about it in a couple of buckets. Where we work with organizations is to improve competitive differentiation and emotional engagement. And those two things are usually viewed separately, but what Noble Purpose does is it links them. So the way to think about this is it sits in strategy, sales, and culture. So the first thing you need to do is identify what your Noble Purpose is. How do you improve the lives of customers and have some stories to back that up? Storytelling is a really important component of this. And so what we do when we work with senior leadership teams is we pose what we call the three discovery questions. How do you make a difference? How do you do it differently than your competition? And on your best day, what do you love about your job? So that's the start of forming your purpose statement. And and purpose is a hot topic right now. So a lot of companies already have a statement. What we do is we help them bring it to life in the cadence of daily business. And so once you've got clarity on your purpose and the stories that back it, because if you have a business, you're probably already making a difference in your customers' lives or you wouldn't they wouldn't be buying from you. So the first step is clarity of the purpose. Then the next piece you have to do is you have to add the purpose to the organizational narrative. And so we've identified a couple of places inside organizations where leaders can layer this on. And it's coaching, it's in meetings, It's in reward and recognition, and it's in um, recruiting and onboarding. And layering in purpose into all of those, which doesn't require radical changes, it's it's an additive thing, layering that into all of those is how you start to shift the culture. Then when you want to make sure that your strategy is aligned around it, you make sure you've got some ways to measure it. And they tend to be more qualitative. You know, the numbers are a lagging indicator. They are the result of the behaviors of the employees. So you go to employee behavior and you go to measurements. And then one of the most important pieces is the way you drive your sales narrative, which is the stories that you're telling, the way you've organized your sales team, the way you reward and recognize your sales team. And so one of the things we've seen is usually takes, we can usually get a quick win about 30 days by making some very quick changes. And then over a period of six months, we can get some behavior changes. And not surprisingly, there is almost always, if the organization is clear on their processes, there's almost always a revenue lift within six months. So uh, let me ask you this. Because you, you mentioned the power of story. Can you give me an example 
of how you helped someone get to this clarity of purpose and how it shifted their mindset? Absolutely. So we work with a commercial bank in Atlanta, and they've been very graciously agreed to make this public. And it's Atlantic Capital Bank. They are a commercial bank here in Atlanta, and they were always a really well-run business. And one of the things that we did for them was we worked with the CEO and the senior team. And if you Google Noble Purpose McLeod, you'll see them on our website. And we crafted a purpose statement that was we fuel prosperity. And I think this is really important because a lot of people, you know, when I talk about capitalism, think it's just unfettered greed. That's not it at all. That's a totally different topic. What we're about is prosperity, which is more benevolent, which is something that fuels, you know, everyone. So they came up with we came up with this purpose statement, we fuel prosperity. Then we identified where the places we can do that best a couple of target customers segments. Then we had each leader in the business, and this is what's really important. One of the things that salespeople often struggle with is how to create urgency in non-customer-facing roles. So we had each one of the leaders of the senior leadership team go back to their teams and draw a direct line as to how they fueled prosperity for customers. And be super clear on that. That becomes the departmental story. Then we did training of the entire sales team. So where we shifted the stories that they told, they've got a couple stories on their website now about how they've really changed the lives of these businesses and enabled them to grow and prosper. We shifted the stories. We added some more customer intel that we want the salespeople to get. We shifted the presentations. And they've shown an increase in revenue as a result. And what happens is the reason people are focused on internal metrics, it's not by design, it's by default. And so what we do is we design a system where you're focused on customer impact. And it's a game changer. You know, I, I love that. It's, 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 a re, it's a recurring theme for the top performing organizations that, that I work with. It comes down to this notion of instead of saying, what's the value of this deal? Say, well, what happens if the client doesn't solve that? And right. what does success look like six months down the road if we help them? Yeah, and it's it's something that we've been talking about in sales for a long time. And what I wanted to do was – I'm a bit of a nerd about these things – is I wanted to crack the code on the ecosystem surrounding salespeople because I saw the thousands and millions and millions of dollars spent on sales training that didn't stick. And so I thought, this isn't because anybody's a bad person or because there's bad sales training. We're asking salespeople to do something that the ecosystem is not supporting. And so that was the problem that I wanted to solve. And so what we did over the last couple of years was crack the code on there's a couple of critical interactions and systems that if you tweak them in the direction of your customer, you get a totally different outcome in terms of sales behavior and market perception and employee engagement. Yeah. It's, and, and, and it's something that I can, I can vouch for on this end. Um, it's, it's different, different terminology, but I think that mm-hmm. I often say that the systems that work, we share a lot in common, even though we may use different terminology and, and in yeah. different different constructs, but what what I love about this is that you're no longer dealing with. If you, if you think about it, the reason why so many subject matter experts are reluctant to go into sales is because there's a long history of salespeople not delivering for the customer, and they don't want to be associated with that. 
But right. if we're now focused on how we can help the client and if organizationally we're committed to delivering that and measuring it, then we can get those subject matter experts who say, yeah, I'll, I'll play in that space because if I can actually help deliver results for customers, they're going to love me even more than they did already. And, and the thing is, try to imagine a world where no one sold or bought anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you actually don't have to imagine because it's third world countries that are stuck in poverty. Yeah. And the only way to lift an organization, a community out of poverty is to produce something of value, have other people buy it, and then have them produce something that they can sell. And I mean, and and so on it goes. And and so the thing is that sales is one of the few, few professions. And one of the things I wanted to do was restore what I believe was the nobility to the sales profession, because sales is one of the few professions where we let the people bet doing it badly, define it. You know what? And and obviously you have done that um, beautifully. And it's just – it's such a refreshing thing. And I encourage people listening to pick up a copy of Selling with Noble Purpose. And in fact, you also have Leading with Noble Purpose. Um, but both are – it's a blueprint for how to infuse smart stuff into your business, for lack of a better term, and, and to infuse – nobility and purpose into an organization. Hey, Lisa, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and connect with you? Uh, just Google noble purpose and I'll come up. <laughs> you know what? I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that's the case. And we'll, we'll include in the show notes a link to your website and to uh, into the books. And I just can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom on the show. Well, thank you. If you if folks go to our website, we have a couple of um, white papers there. One of the things we've had a lot of people do. A lot of times, we'll have you know a CEO or chief revenue officer or even an individual seller listen and say this makes sense. And one of the things that's the easiest thing for them to do to share it is just uh, download one of our white papers because I speak at a lot of conferences and I do consulting work with a lot of organizations. And what I find is when people hear this, they say it makes sense. What they need is help in implementing it. Excellent. Well, thanks again for sharing your wisdom. Thanks. It was a delight to be with you. Lisa shares so much great insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, if we're telling people to focus on the customer, but then the only questions we ask them are about revenue and closing deals, then we're misaligned. Remember, transactional sellers, it all comes down to price. And when we think about just closing the deal, it narrows the seller's lens and you're not focused on purpose. And ultimately, selling with noble purpose, the epitome of that is getting on the same side. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest I should have in the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace especially your customer.